What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica, meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Murtada El Fadl. Welcome to Sundays with Kate, the podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. This is your host, Murtada El Fadl. And today we're going back in time to the year 2000 and Sally Potter's The Man Who Cried. A movie that is unavailable, it was very hard to get our hands off, but I'm very excited to have with me from the film experience, Nathaniel Rogers. Hi, Nathaniel. Hi, Murtada. Back again to discuss Kate Blanchett. Yes. What a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we do here at Sundays with Kate. Um, <laughs> and back to discuss her early career, Nathaniel, we discussed before Paradise Road, which was maybe her second movie ever. But this is The Man Who Cried is a f- couple of years after that. And it was, it was a bunch of movies that came out in 2000 and 2001. I assume the movies she chose after she became famous with Elizabeth. After she, yeah. After she was an Oscar nominee, The Flurry of Offers, it's one of those. <laughs> yes. Um, a lot of them are supporting parts, which this definitely is. So... The Man Who Cried is directed by Sally Potter. It's about a Russian Jewish girl played by Christina Ricci, who is separated from her father early on in the 20s um, in Russia, but escapes to England. But the movie, basically the story starts 20 minutes in when she's in Paris. She becomes a singer in this Parisian theater where she meets Kate's character, who is Lola, who's a An, a Russian dancer, a very glamorous Russian dancer. And the other characters, um, it's sort of the main, there are four main characters. The other two are this Italian tenor played by John Turtero, and then a handsome extra who is, I think, a horseman played by Johnny Depp. And basically there's like two love stories, Kate and John, although John really is more into Christina, which I don't get, but okay. Um, and then Christina is in love with Johnny Depp and that's like the romantic love story because the two characters played by Kate and John Turturro are like these opportunists who are just see an opportunity in each other and it's not really a love story I remember when we talked earlier about Paradise Road you mentioned that this was a movie that you always thought about of Kate and do you remember why it sort of lingered in your memory For one, it's quite an eccentric movie. So it's, if you've seen it, which very few people have, <laughs> it's kind of hard. To, it's, it's easy to forget details because it's not, I don't think it's a very good movie, mm-hmm. but, it's, um, but it's eccentric and weird. So you will remember like images or, you know, just feelings you had. And I, this was, I think the movie that, that really made me think, oh, maybe this Kate Blanchett person is what people are saying she is. Because <laughs> I was like a kind of a holdout. Um, I, I was not that thrilled with her and Elizabeth. Um, I know I'm one of like, I'm in the 0.0001% there who just wasn't bowled over by that. And, that, and I remembered this one close-up and like the whole movie, rewatching it now, the whole movie I was waiting, where was that close-up where I was just like, oh my God, this woman is amazing. Um, and it, it was really not what I was, th- not how I had remembered it. It's oh. like a split second. I had remembered it as like this searing, brilliantly acted, devastating close-up and rewatching the movie, it finally came. It's like one of the later scenes of the movie. And it's like a split second insert shot which we can maybe talk about later because later mm-hmm. in the movie, but, but I think it's just her sheer luminosity in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like she just looks like a movie star and acts like a movie star from start to finish. And in a way it kind of is a problem for the movie because Christina Ritchie, who I've loved in other things is a blank slate in this movie. And when yeah. you 
when your protagonist is right next to somebody who's absolutely on fire with the camera. Yeah. Kind of a problem. Um, you know, I will go back to the man who cried, but Elizabeth is back in the culture or that 1998 Oscar Best Actress is back in the culture because Glenn Close gave this interview right. where, <laughs> where she said that Fernando Montenegro should have won for Central Station and not Gwyneth Paltrow. And then Fernanda Montenegro gave her own interview to, in response to um, Glenn Close and said, you know, she, uh, she likes what Glenn Close she said and thanked her, but she thinks Kate should have won because she has played Elizabeth marvelously and has played her in two movies. So that's who she would have voted for. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, so that's funny. It's a funny thing. But I do agree with you about what you said about Kate in, in The Man Who Cried, is that it is, she's very glamorous. I mean, it's, and I can see why you remember the close-up, because she has a few close-ups, but also it's just the look is so distinctive. You know, her albastre skin and the ripe red lipstick that she always has on and the blonde hair. And um, it's, it's a very sort of memorable look. And the performance is also very big, you know, as, mm -hmm. as it's, um, it's a theme we have explored in this podcast. Kate is an actor who's not afraid to go big. Um, yeah. She would choose to do it more often than not. And mm -hmm. so she, this um, character gives her a lot of things that she loves. It's, it's a glamorous person, so there's a lot of beautiful customs. It's, there's an accent, a Russian accent. Um, there is, um, and again, it's a physical performance where she's acting with her body. Like this Lola is a dancer, but she gives her this physicality where her arms are always flailing about and flying high and yeah. she's never still. That, that's a great point. Cause I was like the whole, I was looking for an adjective the whole time and I'm like, it's like her body's liquid in this movie. And it's, it's sort of a little gawky, not exactly graceful like if you look at her physicality in carol for instance which is a very graceful sort of gliding through the screen mm -hmm. here it's a lot of stop and starts and arms up and down it's like she's directing traffic but the most <laughs> glamorous traffic director ever um and she looks great um and yeah the movie is kind of to your point it's eccentric and a little bit like what is happening it's a story mainly in paris right before the german invasion so 19. 1940 and obviously it's about people who are caught there an italian to russian women and um and johnny depp is a romani iterant you know part of a romani iterant tribe and so the two characters obviously the nazis didn't care for the christina richie character because she's jewish and for the johnny depp character because he's romani so that's sort of like where the thrust of the narrative comes in there were some scenes that were very good and effective. I think every time Kate was on, it was interesting. Um, John Turturro is also going big, so he is also a little memorable. But a lot of, like, there was a lot of scenes. It's just Johnny Depp on a horse. He looks good, you know? It's Johnny Depp a long time ago at the height of his beauty. So he looks really good, and he looks really good on a horse. But there's all these scenes of him, like, galloping around Paris that made no sense to me. I was like, what is happening? Why are all these and, like, weird uses of slow-mo, right? To, like... Yeah. Like, all over this movie. It's, like, another slow-mo close-up of somebody or of them, of him arriving on a horse. It's, like, it's a very strange filmmaking choice. Yes, it is. And it's... It's more like, you know, Sally Potter, if you, know, if you look at her sort of filmography movies like Orlando, she has this way of maybe doing dreamscapes or things that are not particularly realistic. But here it's just like, it didn't make any sense to the rest of the movie because the rest of the movie seemed as this very sort of historical story about people struggling as Paris fell to the Germans in 1940. And then suddenly there is like two minutes of Johnny Depp on a horseback for no reason. <laughs> Yeah, it, it really, like, the, the stylistic, her, her aesthetic just doesn't fit well with, like, grounded, traumatic history. Yes. It would be one thing if her, if she had, she had maybe um, veered her aesthetic a little more to the, like, the nightmarish might have worked better for this movie, if she mm -hmm. still wanted to be that surreal qualities that she has. But it's just, it's such a strange movie. Like, it doesn't, 
Like, why are you doing these weird, weird things when these people are being traumatized or being sent to concentration camps or whatever else is happening? Yeah, I can see why the movie is, has not been widely seen. However, I believe all movies sh should be available and it really pisses me off when you just can't access them. Yes. And this movie is just not available. You see, Susie, there are rules of how you get your man. You must play hard to get. If it is too easy, he loses interest. He must feel that he is um, a hunter and you... A beautiful wild animal he is hunting. It's a primitive instinct, you see. A second, if you want to make a man want you, and only you, you must smile. You must listen. You always listen. He needs attention. Men, you see, they are very, very fragile. A third, you must look good. Very good. Actually, that's probably the most important thing of all. No, without my looks, I would never have got out of Russia. So I wanted to talk about like Kate's performance and, and some of the bits that I enjoyed. So I think when I was watching this, the first scene where I sort of like went, oh, I got why um, this is a movie that some like, or this is the performance that some like, is that scene where Kate as Lola is basically explaining her raison d'etre or why Lola is this way, why she's a bit opportunistic, why she's looking always for a man to take care of her. And it's a very sort of funny scene where she talks about she looks good and it's very important to look good and it's very important to find a man. And then she says, like, you know, she drops this line where she's like, without my looks, I wouldn't have even gone out of Russia. You know, I'm not doing the Russian accent, obviously. Yeah. But it was funny to me it was like a funny scene and i it reminded me of like you know other movies where kate is this droll or can be this droll comedian um and even though that scene is sort of like tragic like sh this woman is explaining why she is this way which the the story sort of frowns upon like she's always presented lola is always presented like if we want to do the madonna and the whore she's definitely the whore in this scenario like right. the movie takes the side of christina ricci who is shown to be pure, who's only will respond to a man if she loves, which is, you know, the way it should be. But the movie is a little bit judgy of Lola and the way she does. But in that movie, I kind of almost was on Lola's side because just Kate was so funny. I was like, yes, I, I get it. You're, you're funny <laughs> and glamorous. <laughs> no, I was, I was definitely on Lola's side because people love to judge other people, right? Yeah. But when you're in traumatic situations, where you maybe don't understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. She is a Russian immigrant in Paris with very limited like opportunities for anything. And the whole world is on fire. Her motivations make total sense. Yeah. Um, and like, I think people are too harsh to, to judge in movies and in real life about what people in extreme situations do. Because if you're completely untethered and the world is also total chaos, you don't know what, how you would behave. Exactly. Like if you were pulled completely out of your home country, languages you didn't understand or whatever than that, and a world war was going on, you would probably make some questionable choices too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I noticed about this movie, like when we talked last time about Paradise Road, in which Kate was part of an ensemble, and in this movie, she's definitely like the supporting player and not the lead. But a lot of the reviews, unlike with Paradise Road, when she was hardly mentioned, a lot of the reviews for this movie that I could find online are all about how she steals the movie. Or, you know, she's, you know, TV Guide called her a dazzler. Entertainment Weekly, the second paragraph of the review, they left everything as if the reviewer wasn't even interested in the rest of the movie and he just went into Kate Blanchett and why for him she stole the movie and you watch it and you're like yeah that is true yeah, yeah. <laughs> well because she also fits better with this the eccentrics of the style because you know uh, Sally Potter is going very big even though her choices don't necessarily make sense so um but Kate fits in with that because Christina who is also a very beautiful visual sight on screen in mm -hmm. most of her movies. She doesn't, it's like that recessive quality that she brings to the character or whatever. Maybe the character's underwritten. I don't know what's happening, but she's sort of like wallpaper in the movie. 
it's a very strange it just doesn't work and so kate is like rising to like sort of the eccentricity of the movie and it's sort of bold visual sense so she completely fits with whatever sally potter's doing yeah totally she got what sally potter was trying to do um but yeah reaching under place to almost non-existence like in scenes and you know she's a singer she doesn't do her own singing which is great because you know people don't do that anymore you know actors in 2000 were more open to being dubbed because both she and John Turturro are dubbed um but it's not about that it's just like even in the scenes where she doesn't sing she's just almost not there and especially with scenes with Kate Blanchett she's completely like in the scenes where they talk together like I kept and this is not just because I love Kate so much. I kept wanting the camera to just go back to Kate. Like, can we just go right. back? <laughs> yeah, and I would like to remind everyone listening that this is right after um, Christina Ricci did The Opposite of Sex, which was a fantastic, dazzling performance. So it's not like Christina Ricci does not have that in her at this point in her career. Yeah. So it, it's, a, it's a very odd... <laughs> star performance it's almost like negating her own her own charisma it's very strange yeah it is it's it's totally i i I couldn't put my hands on it like why why you're just even not trying to be not there at all and it's obviously a choice like she chose Mm -hmm. to do this yeah Um, i assume in collaboration with sally potter to just be not there on screen at all um, and since, you know, you brought up the opposite of second, Christina Ricci, she is someone who maybe younger listeners to the podcast wouldn't know about. But at this time that she made this movie, she was a star. A year before this, she was in Sleepy Hollow with Johnny Depp 2, right. which was a big major hit. Yeah. Um, and people really watched that movie and loved it and loved her in it. And I don't yeah, know. This what... was the, yeah, this was like the, almost like the peak of her stardom was the late, the late 90s. Because around this time, not just Sleepy Hollow, she was in The Opposite of Sex that you mentioned. She was in The Ice Storm, which was a couple of years before right. this. And that was a movie that people loved, too. And she was great in that one, too. Yeah. yeah. And her follow-up, like Christina Ricci's follow-up to this, was a movie that was a, supposed to be big, but it sort of flopped and went nothing. It was Prozac Nation, which was based on a very popular book. And it was a movie that you... Um, I'm sure our friends at this had Oscar Buzz can do that movie because it was a movie that was, had one of those things where like the book was great. There was a star who was coming out and, and being ascendant and, and was chosen to do the lead. And people were like, well, this is going to be the one for her. <laughs> and then it fizzled and went away and it came to nothing. And that was kind of the end of like her major stardom in cinema anyway, I think. Don't yeah. do you agree? I do agree, but this this definitely did not help things because she, in most of her movies, rising up, she was kind of the supporting character. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was like Kate is in this movie where she would just steal scenes right and left and just be so, like, she has such strong string charisma. That's why it's such a strange, like, it's just like, if you like her as I did because I was a huge moviegoer in the 90s and she was all over the place, it's, it was a very strange, like, career sort of collapse at the time. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, the movie doesn't help her, though. And she doesn't help the movie, so it's, <laughs> it's weird. It's, yeah, it's just weird. But, but since you were talking about, let's go back to Kate. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so when you were talking about her physicality, like, the thing that totally works for me about this performance, in addition to that she just nails, like, she nails the opportunistic but desperation of the character opportunism is not always motivated by being evil sometimes it's desperation Mm -hmm. yeah um and you totally get that sense from her and she's also just so funny in it Mm -hmm. like the very that her entrance which you know her entrance is in all in a bunch of insert quick cuts where she's on stage like posing it's it's more posing than dancing. It's yes, like it is. <laughs> it's weird, like arm and leg flailing things that end in the pose, and then the camera keeps like snapping on her. And it's such a funny entrance. So then you're waiting for the character to be funny, and then the character is funny, mm-hmm. but then she adds all these dimensions to it as well. Yeah, and she winks at the audience, like in that intro yeah. scene. It ends with her winking, and she's winking right at the camera, which is just like you know can't help but love it, of course. Yeah. 
She's like, I'm here. If you were bored of this movie now, forget your troubles. <laughs> and frankly, I was bored because the first 20, 25 minutes of this movie is for the, you know, when the Christina Ricci character is, we should give her a name. Her name is Susie. When Susie is a young girl played by another actress, uh, by a young actor. And so it's kind of boring. Like she's just being lost in Russia. She's on a boat and, and you're just like, okay, when is the movie? And at that point, you know, we haven't seen the performances. We're just waiting for all of them to appear. Not, not. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't seen of any of the stars at that point. Yeah. So Kate does earn her entrance, her big entrance into the movie. And to your point, like it's such a memorable entrance. Then from then on, you know, like who to watch for. Like yeah. you're always watching for her because it's such an me- impactful first scene. And then you're just watching to see what else she's going to do. And Yeah, honestly, if I was Christina Ritchie, I would be, I would have never forgiven Sally Potter for this movie because even that, <laughs> because even that scene, Christina is in that scene. Yeah. And if the, it, if, a diff, if the director had made different choices, you might have learned new things about that character. Like, because, but the camera doesn't even, like, she's, it doesn't freeze on her when she does a pose. Like, she's in that dance sequence, and then it's all about Kate, the visuals. It, it might be a director responding to how, like, on fire one of her actors is, which, you know, you should. You know, you have to be intuitive about filmmaking, too, but, like, it also really leaves Christina out to dry. It does. And it just and it never gets better from her from, yeah. from then on. Because the next scene that where it introduces John Turturro, it's um, it's a scene at a big party where the theatrical troupe is hired to do a performance. So it's Kate and Christina and Johnny again on a horse, right. um, doing a sort of performance and people are looking outside. Like, yeah, it's a tableau. Like a, a tableau, yeah. Exactly. So there, Kate and Christina are on both sides of Johnny on a horse, and they're doing, to your point, it's not really dancing. They're just moving their arms around, um, which I guess you could get away with in 2019, I don't think you can get away with it anymore. People have to learn to dance and take weeks of rehearsal and preparation before they can play a dancer. Um, but they were just moving their arms around. And again the camera cuts the gate and cuts to Christina. And then you're just like, I don't even remember what Christina was doing, but I can still see Kate with, she has a head covering. They probably have the same head covering, you know. They, but, have, they have the same head covering, yeah. And, you know, the lipstick and the way that she's like just moving her arms around and sort of like, there are so many moments in this movie where she looks right at the camera. Mm-hmm. as the camera goes to her. I mean, I know the most famous Kate looks at the camera is the ending of Carol, but watching this movie, it's like, oh, it's a trick she's been doing for 20, 15 years before Carol. She's been doing this before. <laughs> no, she is like, you have to hand it to her. She is not a timid actor. Yeah. She totally knows and understands her power on screen. Like she knows where how her body would look and what and when to look directly into the camera and when not to and how how to make an impression and this performance is a series of those yeah you know, just let let me make sure I'm noticed and it fits the character and so it becomes a great performance in kind of not a great movie. <laughs> We will take a short break and we will be back in a moment to talk more about The Man Who Cried and later on in the show we will discuss the award chances of Mrs. America at the Golden Globes and SAG, the Screen Actors Guild. This episode of Sundays with Kate is sponsored by Podcorn. I was looking for a way to find sponsorships for my podcast. That's when I found Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace that connects podcasters like me with sponsorship opportunities like this one. Every week I get an email from Podcorn with the sponsorships available. I browse what's available and choose the ones that fit Sundays with Kate. I can set my own rate based on the guidelines that they provide. These guidelines are based on how many listeners and downloads my podcast gets. Then I can contact the brands directly for collaborations. Podcorn is there all the way to make sure the process runs smoothly and I'm compensated for the ads. If you're a podcaster like me, click the link in my show notes and go to podcorn.com to sign up and start browsing sponsorship opportunities. It's very easy. 
and we're back. Besides Kate, is there anything that you liked about the movie? No. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I just think it's a mess. Even like I think Johnny Depp is trying to do what Kate Blanchett is doing, mm-hmm. where he understands that the director is fetishizing him, which yeah. the director's totally fetishizing Kate too. Absolutely. He, under- he understands he's there for like a visual spectacle reason. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's at the peak of his beauty and all that stuff. Um, but he's also not doing that much as an actor, whereas Kate is like, not only am I gonna do that, but I'm also gonna give you a full 360-degree picture of this woman, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's like Kate is like juggling and doing acrobatics and everybody else is just sort of posing. So I like I understood, like I didn't hate Johnny Depp in it because I felt like he got it. But he also wasn't that interesting. Like he understood the ask, but maybe the response wasn't interesting. Right. And um, and I think like John Turturro is like, he gets the comedy of it in the same way that Kate Blanchett gets the comedy of it in this sort of horrific drama. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of uneven, I think, with him. Um, so like the actors are all over the place. and But just like the filming... It's interesting because it's Sally Potter and she makes odd choices and stuff, but it's not successful, I don't think. No, it's definitely not successful. I agree with you about John Turturro. Like, I think he was sort of also going big. He's he's also an actor who's not afraid of, like, going big. And, and he is, you know, doing a very big performance. And it was interesting, but to a point. I think maybe what hasn't served him well to like steal the movie, maybe that his character is just so loathing. Um, yeah. like he's so obviously the villain of the piece and right. and he just plays that. He doesn't give like Kate is playing Laura as this tragic figure. Yes, she's somebody that the movie doesn't or the script sort of like takes takes a little bit of a side I felt against her, but she plays her so well as this tragic person. Um, that you sort of by the end you know you're you're with her you understand what she's doing but the Tortura character is just there as the villain and Tortura doesn't give the performance beyond you know doing hammy villain things which is yes you get and they are watchable but it's not a full portrait of why this man is the way he is right well and I think another thing Kate brings to it that's not I mean it's a little bit there in the script but it's more of like her doing I think is that as much as she's an opportunist, as much as the camera's judging her, (laughs) and she also brings this element where you know she is actually, like, also really trying to help Susan. Mm -hmm. Like, even, like, once her first plan with the opera star, who's John Turturro, once that falls through, she's still trying to, like, grift her way into, like, a better life as a trophy uh, arm candy. Yeah. Um, and she has this little speech on the boat as they're escaping one of their many tragedies um, that, you know, this guy is older than I would like, but, you know, mm-hmm. but, but he's going to help. He's going to help us. It's not even like she's just trying to save herself. Like she's genuinely looking out for Susie during the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point to bring about is like, even though the Tortura character is sort of like he's in a relationship with Lola. But he has eyes for Christina Ricci. Like, that doesn't end their friendship. And they escape Paris together and and go on to the boat. Does she die in the boat? Because there is, like, this is, again, like, Sally Potter's filmmaking is, like, is that a dream sequence? Because there is a scene after the scene that you were talking about where she meets the older man and she's like, oh, he's the one who's going to you know, help us once we get in America and all of that, where she's swimming and then does the boat capsize or is hit by the Germans or something. And I was like, oh, this is a beautiful scene of Kate swimming underwater with her head coverage. She's like, is this a homage to the Esther Williams movies? And then something happens and I'm like, did she die? I was like taken aback and I don't even know. I still don't know. I think she, <laughs> I think she definitely dies because... Again, but it's it's like Sally Potter's like odd choices, but I viewed it as like a callback to an earlier scene where you think Lola is watching her boyfriend, the opera star. You think she's watching him perform, but then you realize, based on the editing and the weird camera choices, that she's actually in a movie theater and she's watching like these bathing beauties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she transposes herself into the scene where she's like the swimming beauty with her red lips. Yeah. 
and then like later when when they're on the boat and she's it's this beautiful imagery from the camera underwater like watching her swim so i viewed it as a callback to like her dreams are going to kill her yeah she keeps she's a doomed figure and now she wants to go to hollywood as her new plan and before she was seeing herself within a movie and now she's trying to get to Hollywood and she's dead. That's how I view it. Yeah. Tragic till the end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this is, you know, the way that you were explaining that just reminded me that this movie, like definitely Sally Potter is a director with a clear visual eye and yeah. beautiful. And there's so many beautiful tableaus um in this movie the one you just described there's a lot of the Kate scenes that opening we talked about earlier of how she's introduced yeah and even static shots like like there's a lot of opera scenes in this movie um Mm -hmm. even the static shots of just what's going on with the opera troupe with all the scrims like she's still making it interesting visually Mm -hmm. so it's not that i don't think she's talented i just this movie's a mess it's all (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, she wrote it, so maybe the screenplay is where the mess is. But there must have been something to the screenplay because all these people were Kate. This was right after Elizabeth. Johnny Depp was a major star. So is Christina. Harry Dean Stanton is in this movie in a small part as the manager of the theater yeah. group. So there must have been something to attract all these people to this movie. Yeah. Sally Potter at this time also, I mean, it was seven years after Orlando, but Orlando was like a huge like deal because it was so visionary. It was so good. So I think a lot of people like trusted her at this point. Yeah. Maybe they saw, you know, the screenplay, whatever the visual, this is somebody I want to work with. The visuals will tell this story. Right. So let's talk about Kate in the year 2001 where this movie was um, released. So she actually won an award for this movie. The National Board of Review gave her Best Supporting Actress for her 2001 body of work, which included um, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, and another terrible movie, The Shipping News, which she also had a small part in. So I think that was more of like the NBR just saying, you know what, All I love you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We love you. Sometimes do, yeah. Like critics groups sometimes do. Like they're like, you worked a lot this year and all of the performances were good, so here you go. Even if maybe you should have just picked which performance you thought was great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, of those three, I mean, yes, you know, her Galadriel is iconic, but I would have actually picked this one. Oh yeah, yeah, I think it's her because I really loved her that year in this. And I know I didn't nominate her for Lord of the Rings. Because this came out in 2001, right? Even though it was dated 2000. Yeah, it premiered at the Venice Film Festival in 2000, but came out in 2001. So it's, for U.S. purposes, it's a 2001 movie. So if you're listening to this podcast and you don't visit the film experience, number one, why don't you? And number two, you should know that Nathaniel does the Film Bitch Awards at the film experience every year. Um, and so he's talking about in 2001. It was very early in, in the, the site. Um, and I did, I did not, uh, nominate her, uh, but she was a finalist. So she was a runner up to be nominated. She was in seventh place for my takes on supporting actress that year. So I really loved the performance. The movie did not place anywhere else. (laughs) Yeah. And I think this is what the NBR was doing. It's, you know, I would have just nominated her for this, but maybe because the movie was so like nothing. They were like, oh, let's just put Lord of the Rings and why the shipping news, but okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> which, yeah, which I think she's actively bad in that, but that's a different uh, topic. Yeah. Uh, sometimes when you go big, it's not the right choice. <laughs> it's, yeah. But I do want to, can I say one more thing I love about her and the man who cried? Yes, please do. The, the scene I, refer, I referred to at the very beginning of this conversation that I had remembered from the movie that I thought was this big, long held, held close up take was over in a split second. And it was at a, a scene that doesn't really even have dialogue where she's at a dinner with her new boyfriend, who's the opera star. And so she's got everything she wanted now, right? But this is before the Nazis invade. But she had told Christina earlier, told Susie earlier that you have to keep, you have to play hard to get because once a man has you, he loses interest, right? So it's like the fear of hers, right? So it's like a split second shot she and 
she noticed that she's talking to old rich people at the table, including old rich women. Um, and so she, she's watching him talk to people and she's totally alone and nobody is talking to her. And so you see this insert of her, like looking at him, you see him talking to people and then you see an insert of her doing like a little pose, like a little coquettish like pose to like get his attention. Yes. And he glances at her. He sees her. He sees her doing this very attractive pose that's almost like her winking to the camera. It's so cute and adorable. And he just immediately turns his head and goes back to the conversation. And then there's this reaction shot of her that's over in a split second that is absolutely devastating of her realizing it's already begun. He has what he wants. This relationship is going to end at some point. You know, it's like a devastating moment. It's all in her eyes and close up. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't say anything exactly, but you know, you you get all of that just by the way she looks, yeah. And the like tilt of her head and everything. She's such an amazing screen actor. Yeah, she is. And this is like an example of like, it's, if you're listening to this podcast, you must be a fan of Kate Blanchett. So I would say this is a movie that you should try to find and watch yes. because if you love her, it is a performance where you realize every time the camera is on her, why she's so magnetic. Because everything else in the movie is not at the same level as she is. And it's sort of a movie that proves her greatness. And so it, I would say The Man Who Cried is a movie that every Kate Blanchett fan should definitely watch. Yeah, it'd be hard to find, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she's, she's really great in it, and it just shows you how much she understands the camera, as most truly great movie stars do. Yes. So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, The Man Who Cried in the context of Kate career at that time. So in 1999, Elizabeth comes out and she breaks out. She becomes um, Oscar nominated, wins a Golden Globe. She becomes famous. Everybody is thinking of her as the new best thing. She's not even the next best thing. She's arrived. It's the new it actress the critically acclaimed it actress like if you can if you think about 1999 Gwyneth Paltrow was maybe the it actress of mm -hmm. just like she's the new star but Kate was the critically acclaimed sort of new star like the one who is going to have the long career um and it was something that was realized she did have the long career with many amazing performances to come but I think when looking at the movies that she did right after Elizabeth, and they were pushing Tin, the talent of Mr. Ripley was shot before Elizabeth came out, so we won't do mention that. But the movies she made were Pushing Tin, The Man Who Cried, The Gift, and Bandits. And then she did The Lord of the Rings. Um, but those four movies, Pushing Tin, this one, The Gift and Bandits, I think were her attempt to tell everyone not to pigeonhole her as mm. a monarch or as somebody who would only play, you know, classic roles. Like, because when you play Elizabeth I, like, that is the sort of thing that would get everybody to offer you queen parts or offer you historical parts. But she made Pushing Tin, which is a comedy about, you know, air traffic controllers in New Jersey. She's playing a New Jersey housewife. She played this, which, you know, she's playing a Russian, a glamorous Russian dancer. She did Bandits, which is a comedy with Bruce Willis, where she plays a housewife and sings, and it's a madcap sort of story. Yeah. And then um, The Gift, which all these three were supporting parts. The Gift was the only sort of lead. And again, it's a movie with Sam Raimi, who at that point was pre- and we talked about this movie and you can go listen to that episode. It's, a, you know, he was known as a horror master. And that is a movie where she's trying to do, to play sort of in a genre movie. Mm, yeah. So all, natural type of thing. Yeah. yeah. So all four are completely different from Elizabeth. And yeah. I think none of them worked. I don't think a lot of, many people saw any of these movies. But I think as an actor trying to build a career, it was a smart move. Yeah, it was like, don't pigeonhole me. Look at my range. Yes. <laughs> Look at how well I understand the camera. <laughs> in those years, like in 2000, 2001, which was, you know, I fell in love with her and Elizabeth. And then I was just like, what's next? What's she going to do next? I can't wait for it. And I was waiting for the next Elizabeth. Like, not necessarily a movie about a monarch, but like the next lead mm -hmm. movie where like she storms and wins the Oscar and everybody loves her again. And even I have never seen The Man Who Cried until this year or actually until this week. 
none of these movies made a ripple. I don't think I even seen them at the time, even though I was following Kate. Mm-hmm. Um, but now when I look back, you know, with this podcast, I'm, you know, doing, examining her career, I was like, that woman was very smart. She knew exactly what she was doing, even though maybe her fans were a little bit disappointed in 2000 and Yeah, Because yeah. she probably was offered, I mean, I don't know what she was offered, but it probably was after something like Elizabeth that does that well and gets you awards and makes you famous, she was probably offered a lot of historical dramas right after that. Yeah. And there were a lot. Like, she was probably offered, like, classic book adaptations and things like that. But yeah, you know, I think it was a smart move that she did. And now it makes us, you know, go back and watch something like The Man Who Cried. (laughs) (laughs) So, Nathaniel, last time we talked, uh, when we did Paradise Road, it was in March. It was right before Mrs. America came out. Mm. And Mrs. America has come out and Kate received a lot of praise for that performance and was Emmy nominated. And in the podcast, we covered it. We have um, four episodes. We recapped it and reviewed every episode of Mrs. America. And I think when I'm thinking about Kate's career post-Carol, you know, Carol was such a high in her career. And since then, she may be... The movies that she made were not as well received as that. Like, you know, there was Where Did You Go, Burn Dead, uh, Ocean's 8, Thor Ragnarok, which is, you know, two movies where she was part of an ensemble. They were both successful to a point. But this is Mrs. America, I think, is sort of the first time since Carol where she is the lead of something. It's on mm-hmm. TV. I think the lines between TV and movie are being blurred every day. It was something where she was the lead where it's back to that, you know, we love Kate, even though she didn't win the Emmy, but you know, right. you don't have to win every time you're nominated for something. But I think the critical, <laughs> <laughs> the critical praise and I think the admiration, I don't think the series was as successful as other TV series this year, but I think it was well-watched and admired. My point first, I want to ask you what you thought of her performance in Mrs. America. Well, I was one of these people. Here's the danger. I'm just going to preface this by saying, here's the danger of being a public critic and or some media person, right? Who talks about all these things. TV shows are really, really hard to do that with because until you've seen the entire run of something, Mm -hmm. you can easily put your foot in your mouth. And I was very like a holdout on Mrs. America because it took me a long time to get through all eight episodes just because I'm slow at at TV series. And also I was just like, yeah, she's good in this. And I just kept being like, when people would be like, oh, she was amazing. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was being very sort of not dismissive, but like, yeah, I've seen her do better type of thing. You know, like, yeah, she's really good in it. Like admitting. And then like the last few episodes, by the time the whole thing came around, I was like, wow, that was one of her best performances. Mm -hmm. Because it's like a really slow burn development of the character. Yeah. Um, and I think she's much better in the later episodes where once she has, once she's a- achieved so much and then she sort of realizes what her life has become. Mm-hmm. Um, because what she achieved was so horrible. You know? Yeah. I, I was, I think the series is really good. I understand why it wasn't maybe like the big hit because it was very sort of educational. Yeah. And, and the, um, the structure of it, I think, was probably really off-putting to people. It took me a while to get into it because of that, too, because I would start being invested in a storyline and I just wouldn't be there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, because every episode was about a different character, but she was, like, the through line, you know? Yeah. And But but the whole portrait she paints of Phyllis Schlafly, I always trip on that name, was really impressive. Like, a lot of depth, a lot of, like... I'm not saying I don't know what her process is as an actor, but there's a lot of um, where you could imagine her scripts were <laughs> like little minute details written in to something she can like show you like eight episodes later about what she was doing in that first scene. You know, it seems like a, a very coherent, long character arc. Mm-hmm. I was very yeah. impressed with it. Yeah, I, I was too. And I do agree with you that it, it's like if she's playing the rise and fall of this woman the fall was more interesting in the performance and in the writing in the series itself. And yes, by the time, you know, you get to the end and you look back at the whole performance, you're just like, wow, you know, to, to what you were saying. And I think yeah. the last sort of few minutes, and if you've listened to DOS podcast, I 
apologize, I'm repeating myself, but the last few minutes of the show were like, I think some of the best work she's ever done in her career. Um, so yeah, so we love Mrs. America. And Kate. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem, and, and it's a good problem to have, with stars like Kate, it's like when you are that good and you accomplish that much, it's like, it's always like, how do you top yourself? Yeah. Which is why there's these weird lulls. I mean, the same thing happens to Meryl Streep, right? She'll do something amazing and there'll be a few years and then people will be like, yeah, yeah. Including me. Yeah. Like, what else you got? <laughs> like, you've already been so amazing so many times and you can't be always be the best, mm -hmm. you know? Like, it must be, it's a good problem to have, but it must be difficult. Yeah, and... And, you know, just what we were talking about, like, I think Carol was such a high, I think Mrs. America is such a high, even I hope yeah. more people see that. But I think I'm really excited for, like, what's coming up, because she's got Nightmare Alley with Guillermo del Toro, she's got the new James Gray coming. So I think, you know, um, we are in a place where maybe we won't get another house with a clock in its walls, which is one of the few. <laughs> Wait, where's your episode on that? <laughs> I have to say, this is one movie I haven't seen. And if you're a fan of that movie, you know, tell me in the tell me in the comments why I should watch it and do an episode on it. <laughs> so, uh, but I do want to mention: Have you seen the original Nightmare Alley? I have. Yes, I have seen. Okay, it. because that I'm so excited for because the original is so good. Yeah. But it's so easy to imagine those roles being completely interesting with new actors Absolutely. and a new take on it. So, like, that could be very exciting because that role's really good. It's a great role, yes. So, and, and I'm excited to see her with Bradley Cooper, who is also, I think, you know, it's always interesting to me when actors meet at a time when they are both operating on the same level. Because I think if the Kate, if, like, say, five years ago, Kate Blanchett made a movie with Bradley Cooper. I don't think he was on the level then, but he no, is. No, she would have blown him off the screen. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but he is now. So this is going. Yeah. Hopefully, will be really electric. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm very much looking forward to that. Even though I'm, I'm not a huge fan of remakes in general. I do think, I do think if a director has a point of view and it's like a genre that bears like sort of different points of view, like mm. noir is very good for for like sort of playing games with the storytelling and stuff, then, uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. It's going to be exciting. One other thing that I wanted to ask you about Mrs. America is that we are now in a new TV award season. So the Emmys happened. And, you know, the only Emmy I think that Mrs. America won was for Uzu Aduba, who was marvelous and deserved that win. But the main competitor in the Golden Globes and, and SAG will not be Watchmen for Mrs. America. It will be other new TV series. Like I'm thinking of uh, The Queen's Gambit, The Undoing, all these mini series that are coming up. So as an awards funded, I wanted to ask you about the chances that you see for Mrs. America and for Kate, who is, let's not forget, really beloved by both SAG and the Golden Globes. I think she's been nominated 10 times at the Golden Globes and won three. Although all, of course, for movies because Mrs. America was her first sort of major TV role. Yeah. I mean, I think the difficulty with different timetables with punditry is that not only does your competitors change, but you change, right? Because mm -hmm. you were suddenly not the latest thing, the hot new thing, but you're the thing that came out a year ago. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so by the time those rolls around, Mrs. America's like old news. So I think one of the problems it's going to have is now it's going to be up against something like the Queen's Gambit, which is the hot new thing. Mm -hmm. So I think, and that just replaces Watchmen as like, you know, a behemoth. Like, how do you compete against that? You know, because it's so popular. So, I mean, I think it'll still probably get the nominations, Kate, obviously, but I just have trouble imagining it will do any better because now it's got to compete with the Queen's Gambit, which is huge. Like, people are obsessed with it. It is. I'm, I'm watching it right now, so I haven't watched all of it, so I can't say yet. I, I finished it just a couple of days ago, and I think it's amazing. Um, and I do think, like, Meryl Heller, the very fine director, and we love her as a director, she turns out to be a great little actor, too. Who knew? <laughs> Not all directors can act. Yeah. Um, and so I think for supporting actress, and, you know, I know that people have, SAG has very strange categories in terms of supporting actors. 
I can never remember the makeup from year to year because it seems like they lump everyone in, whether you're in a series or a limited series or it's yeah, all in one the Yeah, it's all in one, either drama or comedy for support. Right. So, so it's like, you know, I could see Mrs. America getting no nominations for supporting actor because there's just so few slots, yeah. you know, because they have to compete with regular series and, you know, all that. But I could see like a Mariel Heller, who's really, really fun in The Queen's Gambit, being like, easily you know beating uzo aduba if they both get nominated because of the time that's passed and being part of the hot new thing yeah i agree with you like um mrs america is a, i thought it was really good tv and one of the, my favorite things that i watched this year but i haven't heard from a lot of people that they have watched it or to the point that you were making earlier, the, because of the structure of it, I think a lot of people gave up on it before they reached the final few episodes, which were the best episodes. Yeah. Whether yeah, the episodes definitely increased in quality as it went along, I think. Yeah. Whether, you know, it increased whether for case performance or just for the series itself as writing and directing. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the shocker for me was the Sarah Paulson episode. Yeah. Because I thought her character was like such a dull character until I got to that episode and I was almost dreading it, even though I love Sarah Paulson because I was like, but that character's not interesting, you know? And then that episode was, I think my favorite episode of the whole season. Yeah. It was great. She was, she was amazing in it, Sarah Paulson. Yeah. And again, you know, she was the one before the last and maybe that's why she wasn't Emmy nominated. Yeah. Yeah. So we think Kate will be nominated. So hopefully whatever zoom golden globes we will get, we don't get to see Kate. <laughs> Kate in, in pajamas at home. Yeah. Glamorous pajamas, no doubt. Yeah. She skipped the Emmys. She's like, I'm not winning. I'm not showing up. I'm not going to put a camera in my face at 3 a.m. in England. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, well, Nathaniel, thank you so much for coming on Sundays with Kate and talking to me about fun. the man who cried. And How many Kate movies do you have left, Tortata? I have a few, like this is the third season of the podcast and I think will be the final season. Um, I haven't counted, but I have a few highlights, including Carol and, and Notes on a Scandal, which are two performances I love. I'll definitely do a deep dive on Carol. So similar to what I did with Mrs. America and with Blue Jasmine and Elizabeth, multiple it will not episodes. be... Yeah, multiple episodes, not just one. Yeah. Yeah. Because it deserves it. Carol deserves it all. <laughs> A whole season. Sundays with, with Kate Blanchett as Carol. A whole season. <laughs> um, and so, before we go, Nathaniel, um, where can people find you and your work? Um, on Twitter, I'm, I'm Nathaniel R. And uh, Instagram, Nathaniel underscore TFE. And, of course, my writing says thefilmexperience.net. Thank you, Nathaniel. And you can find me on Twitter at me underscore says and follow the podcast at Sundays with Kate on Twitter and Instagram and find all episodes at sundayswithkate.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, thank you for listening.